0: by the congregation to rise for the gospel. Our gospel lesson for today, the third Sunday after Epiphany, comes from Matthew chapter four, verses 12 through 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the lake in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people the Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Earlier this week, I got to thinking back to over the course of my work history. And many of you are familiar, you know I kind of bounced among a lot of different jobs before I landed in this pastor gig. And as I was thinking about them, I also got to thinking about the ways that my growth just in my own abilities kind of worked its way up the ladder and as such i eventually started learning or being in roles where i was in charge of something now the earliest goes clear back to my early golf course days when i would just lead a small project or something nothing major there but the first time i was actually considered a supervisor goes to about my mid-20s at this point i was working at a factory I'd only worked there for about two and a half years total. And during the course of about the last maybe five or six months that I worked there, I was given a a staff. I had three guys who worked on a crew underneath me. I was their supervisor. And let me tell you, it did not go well. At that point I needed my own direction and trying to give other people direction was not something I was well equipped to do. From there, fast forward a few more years. And really, it kind of happened when I was in the earliest part of my ministry, actually the year I spent as a pastoral intern during my seminary days. And at that time, I was in charge of some of the program staff as we planned and put together and then led the Lenten uh, midweek services. And that was kind of the first thing that I got to spearhead. Now, it still didn't go perfectly, but it went a little bit better. And I kind of had to laugh about that because it was my first supervisory situation within my ministry. And at this point, I was about 32, 33. And then I kind of chuckled because I realized that's about the same age that Jesus was when he was starting his ministry. And as we hear today, he gets to be a supervisor right away. Now, I think it went a little better for Jesus than it went for me. I can't help but think that, but it's true. We have today in our gospel lesson, the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We're very, very early on in the overarching gospel. We're still in a portion here in the season of Epiphany as we're looking at ways that Jesus is revealed to the world and his ministry was the obvious one. Early on, he's been baptized. And then there was the period of Jesus, uh, his temptation out in the wilderness. And then we get into this reading that we had today. At this point, John the Baptist has been uh, arrested so Jesus hightails from the south around Jerusalem where he had been up into the northern region of Galilee. And as we hear, he sets up shop in the town of Capernaum. Now Capernaum's right on the seashore. It's an important uh, community in that region. There was a trade route that came through there. So the Romans were there to tax things. There was also a lot of economy based on the ocean, or not the ocean, based on the sea. And we hear about that today as we hear about the fishermen. We're a maritime area. A lot of the local economy had to do with fishermen. Now, Jesus begins his ministry. And what I love about this passage is the very first thing we hear Jesus say, the first statement that he makes in his public ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I thought a lot about that statement. I thought that sounds kind of familiar. So I flipped back through the gospel and I found John the Baptist in his ministry said the exact same thing. Literally the same statement. So no wonder Jesus was a little nervous. Hey, John got arrested. We're saying the same things. I might get arrested too. All this is happening. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. We hear that Jesus travels around, that he's preaching in their synagogues of these different communities around Galilee. We hear that he's healing people of their ailments, their sicknesses, the things that hinder them. This is how he begins. And then one day he's walking along the seashore. I can imagine Jesus just moseying along. I don't know, Jesus moseyed, right? That's how he walked. I think so. If not, he does now. He's moseying along and he sees two brothers. We've got Peter, we've got Andrew. They're throwing a net out into the water because as we hear, they're fishermen. Now it's important to remember that these aren't just a couple of guys throwing a fishing pole. This isn't a hobby. These are important guys, they're businessmen. This is a large business that they're taking care of. And he walks up to them and he says, come follow me, come after me, I want you to come behind me. He invites them into this ministry that he's doing. From there, they leave their nets, they come along, they walk, they mosey a few more paces on down the seashore and here's a boat and here's two more brothers. We got James and John, they're along with their dad Zebedee, they're doing the same sort of thing, more fishermen. Same invitation. And he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I love how he puts that. He doesn't just say, hey, come check things out. He takes what's familiar to them, their livelihood, their lifestyle, their vocation. And he gives it a little twist because they are doing something new as they follow Jesus. But it's the familiar aspect of their lives. He calls them as they are. I want you to be with me i want you to be a part of this ministry that i'm doing peter and andrew follow along james and john follow along poor zebedee's left in the boat we don't know what he's thinking but you know he's still there and with this the ministry begins and i love this idea of invitation that jesus invites these guys into whatever it is that he's doing whatever it is that he's accomplishing he wants them to be a part And I thought a lot about this ministry that Jesus is doing. You know, as we heard, he's proclaiming good news. He's healing people of what hinders them. And as he tells us, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, there's a little bit of a translation issue in there. It's subtle, but it's important. When we hear it that way, the kingdom of heaven has come near, we think probably past tense. Like, it happened back here in the timeline, but it was a one-time thing. But the way Jesus actually says it is the kingdom is coming near. It's ongoing action. I think that this promise that he's proclaiming, I think it was true then. I think it was true as he said it to these four disciples. And I think it's still true for those of us who are followers of Jesus today. The kingdom of heaven is still coming near. Now the big question of course is what does that look like? The kids and I in Confirmation, we talk about that all the time. What's this stuff look like? And sometimes we can wrap our heads around it, and sometimes we can't. But it seems that in those moments of offering freedom, those moments of offering connection, those moments of revealing freedom from what hinders us, whether it's sin or whether it's sickness or whether it's an ailment of some sort, whatever it is, those seem to be those little glimpses of the kingdom. And what's wonderful about this whole situation, this whole deal, is that we are given the same invitation. The same invitation that was extended to those four guys. It wasn't only those four. We know Jesus would later find eight more people, and he invited them along too. He also attracted a following of other folks that we hear little glimpses of within the Gospels, a hundred or so other people. We know that he was always offering these invitations, maybe for people to follow him. Maybe just in an individual interaction with a person that was in that moment, and then he moved on. But the kingdom comes around in those moments. Now, when I think about all this, and I think about the way that we are all empowered by the Holy Spirit through our own invitation, through the waters of our baptism, we're invited into this same ministry. And it's a ministry of proclamation. Proclamation of the good news, that this gospel is for you. The forgiveness of sins is for you. Freedom from what hinders is for you. We're invited to proclaim that. And we're also invited to be there for one another. To come alongside one another when we're in our moments of darkness. We heard that that prophecy that light shines in the darkness. To them, a great light has shined I say this all the time. I sound like a broken record. The light of God shines and we reflect it. When we come alongside people who are in need for whatever reason, that is how we're joining in this work. And the wonderful thing about all of this is the message might look different, but the message seems to be the same. And the message is that we have a God that desires to be with us so much that God will tell us over and over and over again. That seems to be the entire message of the entire Bible. I said entire like four times now. I don't know why. We start clear back in Genesis. God created a garden where God could walk along with humanity. God was with humanity. Then that got messed up. We go a little farther down. We've got the message or the story of the patriarchs and God's promise that I will be with you. And I will be with your descendants. And I will make a great nation. And all the world will be blessed through you. We go a little farther than that, and we have God literally dwelling among the people in a tabernacle or in a tent as they wander around the wilderness. Later, they would build a temple where God hangs out among God's people. The story of the prophets is constantly a reminder that no matter what bad stuff is going on or what bad stuff is gonna happen, I will be with you. I will not forsake you. Then we get into the gospels, and we have God literally dwelling among us, as one of us, and then the promise is that we are united through the power and the presence of God within us as the Holy Spirit. And that spirit empowers each one of us to take this message out of these four walls, out into this world that we share. A world desperate for good news. Desperate for a word that it's for you. As Dick said, love everybody. It's simple, right? Should be. We screw it up. But there's forgiveness for that. That's at the heart of all of this. That the brokenness that we embody, the brokenness that's in the world, somehow Christ has redeemed it. And together we are invited in the work of letting the entire world know that. Jesus says, come along after me. That seems to indicate that he's going first and he's out there. Let's follow. Amen.